everybody, and welcome back to the podcast of The Fallen. Um, I am one of your hosts, Nate, and I am joined, as always, by Matt. Hello. Welcome back. I am Matt. We still don't have a set intro or outro for these things, and I don't know that we ever will, because I, I don't want to write out a script or anything like that. No. So That's a lot of work. I mean, I feel just like that we can just spitball it like that every time. That works. That's easy enough. That's easy. But you say it's a lot of it's a lot of work. The summaries that I've been writing have been yeah long. Um, this is true. In the middle of trying to Until- write the... I've just been writing them on a note on my phone. And in the middle of writing the summary for chapter 13 this week, I had to split off and make a second note for the summaries. Jeez. It cut off at like 25,000 words or characters, not it, words. What app are you using? Is it the Google one? Uh, just the generic notes app that I got on my phone when I got it. Oh, I didn't know they would have a character limit. That's cool. Or not cool. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's whatever. Weird. Yeah. Um, I am excited for this one because uh, we were at our co-workers D&D campaign last night, which we maybe can talk about for a bit. But Matt mentioned to me that he loved chapter 12 and it answered a lot of things. So I'm excited to talk. Oh, about yeah. I mean, this finally just started answering something, setting things up that I was like, finally, we're here. We're here. This is where we get some cool info. So I can tell you this now because my character's appearance is based slightly on Anamanda Rake. I'm playing a six foot six elf with black skin and white hair who's very emo and hates everybody. I feel like uh, you and Todd both drew inspiration from some favorite series you guys like. Well, Todd is just straight up playing Guts <laughs> from Berserk. So, I know. Yours was more just an inspired one. His was just a straight, I am Guts. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and then Matt is playing a very dumb dwarf. Hey. It's all right. I, I'm just rolling with it because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. So I'm just like, look, this is just how it's going to go. I'm just going to be this dwarf. We're just going to figure as we go, read books on lizards. Yep. Uh. It's our both of our first D&D campaign. Uh, one of our coworkers offered a DM one for us. So we've got like six people and it's super fun. It's awesome. It's actually really cool. I was like, ah, I think I because like this was based off Malazzo is based off D&D campaigns, right? Yeah, so there was actually a podcast episode um, a couple weeks ago, which I don't think you can listen to yet because they interviewed or just talked with Steven Erickson after they finished the second book. Um, oh, okay. They went deep into the role-playing stuff, and I learned things I didn't know before. Like, I learned that the Gardens of the Moon screenplay was originally only going to be, like, the last third of the book. So all of the setup, it was, like, a very self-contained Interesting thing so like they he wrote this these actual events weren't campaign related per se oh okay because i mean there are some elements i was like i could see how this would be i guess the world building i guess more so but but like how that was definitely like a dnd inspired type of thing or was taken from that yeah and they moved very quickly he said into a different tabletop rpg called gurps which is much more fluid and lets you do a lot more because DD is very restrictive in a lot of ways and uh-huh. GURPS lets you kind of do whatever you want so gotcha yeah i didn't realize how many different like tabletop rpgs there are quite a few out there there's like star wars ones you can get ones based on lord of the rings stuff like that so yeah which is which is honestly pretty cool i was like dang this is i mean i don't know if i'll ever have the time going in the future to do more but i was like i can see the appeal of this this is pretty cool yeah 
And just to give any people that might still be listening four episodes in an yeah. idea of where we're at, I just finished editing our second episode today, and hopefully we should be releasing those. Uh, we're recording this on a Saturday night. Hopefully we'll be releasing those tomorrow on Sunday or Monday is yeah. my plan, hopefully. So we'll have about kind of two weeks, two or three weeks in advance to as kind of a buffer. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, I think. We've already made that many so far. Yeah, we're over halfway through the book. Blows my mind. I feel like we're just starting. I mean, we kind of are. It's weird to me that it's taken a month to get to this point, because the last time I read Gardens of the Moon, I read it in literally two days during uh, Christmas time. Yeah, because I was thinking, I was like, this would have been, because there's been certain parts that hooked me in pretty good. Mm-hmm. That I was like, oh, crap, I want to keep reading. But it's like, we got to do this first. I don't spoil it for me myself. Like if I had read this before, I probably have just read through it. But like, like I can't do that because then I'll yep. spoil it for myself. But you know, I'm like, I could have finished this. Probably been on book three or four by this point now. If I was just going at my own pace, I imagine. Yeah, well, because <laughs> you got the books and then you had to finish Stormlight Archive. And then I texted you yeah. and said, hey, let's do a podcast. And then it was like three weeks before we started. I know, because like I literally was just finishing Stormlight Book 4 when you sent me that text. I think I was like... I wasn't planning on starting it like next week or something. So I was like, that works. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these moments and things coming up that I'm like, I'm so excited to talk about, but those aren't going to come up for a few months at least or longer. I know. It's so weird to think about the advantages and disadvantages of doing a podcast, I guess. Yeah. At least we're not interrupted at work like we would have been. No phone calls, no angry people. <laughs> yeah. So. We, uh, we work in a pharmacy, so we deal with angry customers a lot. Yeah. Sometimes I understand. Sometimes I don't. I'm like, you just need to calm down. Anyways, we we can talk about the fun stuff now. All right. I will start us in. Chapter 11. Krupp is in yet another of his dreams, this time in a land of tundra. He asks if he has gone back to the beginning of things, and an eye mask named Pran Chol says that he has. A pregnant Rivi woman from the same time as Krupp appears as well, and it's revealed that this has all been arranged by the god Kroll. Krupp is sent out to find Nightchill's body, which contains the soul of Tattersail wandering through the landscape. Kroll appears and tells Krupp of Tool and Lorne approaching the city. The Rivi takes Tattersail into her arms and throws away Nightchill's body as she prepares to give birth. The children is born and Kroll tells Pranchol that he shall see the child in 300,000 years. We flash back to the hours before Krupp's dream right as he leaves Baruch's estate after the demonstration with the wax coin. As he leaves, he hears a voice curse in Malazan, and his head fills with the House of Shadows image and the thought, quote, a count of knots unending. Whiskey Jack and Squad are the street workers, replacing cobblestones with ammunitions. Sari says that Krupp is important and winces when asked if he's a seer. She follows him. Whiskey Jack reflects on Sari and realizes that one reason that she frightens him is that she is a reflection of what he could become, a killer with no feeling. He gets chills and a headache and Mallet heals him. Crocus visits his uncle Mamet and asks how long it would take him to gain an education and be known among the upper classes. Mamet gives him a brief history lesson of Darudistan. It was built by the Gadrobi Hills from the camps and excavations searching for the rumored Jagat Barrow. Sari follows Krupp because all that is dangerous must die. He is moving his arms all around to catch the food that he's stealing from the market via magic. The bouncer at the door stops Sari. The bouncer at the door of the Phoenix Inn stops her, and she kills him after making a move on her. 
She goes to the bar to watch Krupp, thinking that mortals are ever at a disadvantage in games of patience. Crocus bursts into the bar and orders a drink. He notices the blood on Sari's dagger. When he takes out coins to pay, Opon's coin keeps spinning, and Sari reacts instinctively with her own sorcery. Kalam steps out of Quip's bar just in time to watch a gray face light a lamp. He tells Quickben that the Assassin's Guild has gone to ground. They're trying to find the Assassin's Guild to offer them a contract to take out the city's leaders, which is the Malazan way of conquest. Quickben begins his preparations to use Kerlock one last time. The group of friends at the Phoenix Inn talks about what's happening in the city. Quickben travels through the Warren of Chaos, seeking entry to Shadowthorn's realm. He enters and asks if Shadowthorn will receive him peacefully into his realm. So let's start with the first scene. What did you make of the whole scene of Krupp in his dream, meeting a woman and Pran Chol, finding Tattersail's soul in Nightchill's body? Um, I'm trying to remember because this one, like, I remember it happening, but I think I read it like just long enough ago that I remember all the details. So I'm like just looking again, but no, I remember like I made a note, like I thought it was pretty entertaining, like Krupp's in- interaction, his dreams. I, mean, I just think it's funny, like this whole time, like he's literally talking with the Nelder God, like it, as an equal, it feels like sometimes he kind of jokes around and stuff, which I think is funny. Well, as we but... learned from one of the earlier sections, Krupp has killed off his humility. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that right. I forgot in... about that. Where he talks to aspects of himself and he sees this humility, hey, like swinging from a tree. Yeah, just just so weird. Yeah, I mean, but, even, uh, even the character list calls him a man of false modesty, and he just is like so gung ho. And they're like, "Can you go find her?" And he's like, "That should be simple for one of Krupp's charms." Yeah. Uh, but did you have any questions about it? I'm trying to remember because I remember he because you'd mentioned in the summary, but like he knew Nightchill and Tattersail, like. That was a whole thing because yeah. she was it soul casting. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think that's what happened. So this isn't spelled out, but basically what I think happened is she was inspired by seeing Quick Ben soul shift her mm-hmm. lock into the puppet. And when she was about to be like attacked by Bellardan earlier, she noticed right before it happened that her ceiling spell was on Nightchill's remains. And that just sparked yeah. the idea. Yeah. Because that's what I remember as well. But like yeah, I just think it's interesting that group he uh has a like he knows about her, which is like I don't know. It's just kind of weird that he knows, which makes me wonder who he is. I guess. Well, I don't know that he knows. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So Krupp doesn't know. Um, at first, Krupp is told to go find the being that has two souls sheltered inside it. Or mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's pretty much how it's worded and then he brings the body back and then i think it's kroll oh no it's rivy the rivy woman says to the body that hear me your name is tattersail and so i don't know that krupp knew before that exactly who it was and she and says here that she won't remember too much like they don't know how much she'll actually remember yeah like how much of her is actually left yeah because basically what happens is they soul shift tattersail's soul into the unborn child of the Rivi woman. Oh yeah. Tattersail's got a weird life. Yep. And then the baby is born in this scene as well. Yeah. What's with the white fox thing? Because she she's a Rivi, is that the blue people? No, the the blue people are the Napons. That's an island the Napons. Um by Malas City. That's Lacine's race, the Empress. Yeah. Um the Rivi are the 
nomadic plains people that dwell on the rivy plain oh gotcha that's right yeah yeah so she she's one of those people so tighter cells essentially just been reborn now which is kind of crazy so i imagine she may not come to play too much a part in this later on then for a while i will maybe i'm wrong i will uh just let you raffle that yeah i assume so it's kind of just a complex scene because i was looking through it again well, yeah. i stepped away for a minute and i was like I remember like understanding all this, but I don't remember it too clearly just because it's like so much happens. Yeah, we uh, we get some deep history and lore stuff from Pran Troll talking about Pran Troll, the Talon Imas, or the just he's just an Imas at this point. There's a difference, which I won't explain right now, but OK, let's see. He says, my kind give way to your kind corrupt, though the wars do not cease. Uh, the jagged dwindle ever retreat into forbidding places. The fork rule sail have vanished, though we have never found need to fight them. And the Kachain Shamal are no more. The ice spoke to them with words of death. So I'll just read that to lay some seeds for later. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Did not make too much sense to me, but I imagine it will in the future. I'm sure there's so much more in here that I just didn't pick up on. I do remember the, the white fox thing. That was kind of weird. Yep. I won't say any more but about they... that. They so they all met on this. Are they in like a dream world? Yes, but that, they're also they're also kind of back in time as well. Because if you'll remember at the very end of the section, uh, Pran Troll says that I am saddened that I may not return in twenty years to see the woman this child shall become. And Kroll says, "You shall, but not as a Imas, as a Talon Imas bone caster." And Pran Troll says, "How long?" And then. Kroll answers 300,000 years, and Krupp lays a hand on his arm and says, you have something to look forward to. <laughs> you can wait 300,000 years. So they, yeah, I don't know. That's some weird time jumping stuff. Yep. Well. Because they went they went back, yeah. Yeah, well, we know they're kind of, at this point, they're an undead skeletal race. Because they were the, the eye mass, so because of that difference, I assume they were like a race beforehand, and then they all converted to a Talon, something. Thing to be the 300,000 year old beings, but it's a great idea. We'll learn more later. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, you know, just, just some ideas that are coming to mind. Hey, we want the theories and the spitballs, even if it sounds insane. Yeah. I can't think of too much else here that like I remember clearly. I was like, whoa, this is wild. Cause like I said, it was just kind of dense. And I was like, yeah, this is something that'll come into play later. Yeah. So if you don't have anything else, I don't really have anything else for that section. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, we learn in the next section that actually happens at night, and then we flash back to the, the daytime. Krupp is walking out of Baruch's estate where we last left him, and then he hears a loud bang from the work crew on the street, which is actually Whiskey Jack's squad, and uh, the House of Shadow just fills his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't Sari start tailing him? Yeah. Right? Because of that? Because you're like, what's... Yeah, I think she notices him and tells Whiskey Jack, and he tells her to go after him. Yeah, because I thought this, I don't know if it's directly in this scene, but the I just thought it was interesting. They're laying literally like mines in the yeah. ground. And they're just like, yeah, we're doing this because no one will question us. Yeah, you just, you just yeah. buy. Well, I love that Whiskey Jack is like Fiddler and Hedge. We got here in the middle of the night, and by morning, Fiddler and Hedge had a wagon full of cobblestones. I don't want to ask where they got that. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is a little later on, and I, I think it was chapter 13, but he, like, mentions, like, 
which makes more sense why they do this because they're just saboteurs. They're just there yeah. to cause the mayhem and just open things up, the bridge burners, which I mean mm-hmm. kind of plays into the name bridge burning, causing chaos and mayhem, yeah. which is how the empire then works to take control of the cities. But I thought that was just an interesting note a bit later on, but we can talk about that maybe a little later. But yeah, no, because Sari then tails him, which I thought was interesting. And she's just like, they're kind of like looking back because Krupp notices her mm-hmm. as she follows. I thought it was interesting because he's like, because everyone that sees Sari like up close or sees the eyes of Sari is always like, that's not right. That's not a thing that should be happening. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm like, which makes me wonder, like, does it explicitly say like, does your eyes look different? Or is it like, you, like, you know, when they say like, you just see it in their eyes. Like you can just tell, I guess. Yeah. So I think Whiskey Jack is in his POV. We've gotten that her eyes just look way older than a teenage girl's should. Like, sounds weird. Yeah. Like it feels like there's ancient knowledge behind them or something like that is how it's described. Yeah. Cause I'm like, cause I keep hearing that and I'm just like, what does I want to know what that looks like? You know, like what do they mean by that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, it, what I kind of picture is if you've seen pictures of, you know, 20 something year old soldiers in World War II or Vietnam mm. or any other wars, you can tell that there's something broken and different that they've that. seen. Yeah. 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 I guess that's true. That, yeah, that makes more sense than, yeah. But I'd imagine the picture might like be, that might be multiplied by like a thousand times since it's a god looking out through her eyes. I know, which is just so wild. Because what's weird is uh, we get a little bit of dialogue later, the god being like, because his name's Rope, right? Cotillion or something? Yeah. Yeah. Because he has like a little bit of inner dialogue because he's like, is she really gone or something? Because when she heard the word seer, she kind of was like, something happens, like internally, which I thought was interesting. Do you have any theories why? I want to say it's the connection to the old lady because she made a prediction. That's still a thing. That's, That's kind of all I got. Cool. <laughs> I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. So I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to go back like through everything we know about Sari. And it's just like the only thing I can think of is like the old lady doing her weird magic at the beginning. It says we're connected. So that's the only thing I can think of. But cool. I, uh, <laughs> I'll stay silent <sighs> anymore of that. No, I'm not going to confirm. I can either confirm or deny. Unless, unless it's a clarification that will just help you understand some things better. But. I'm not going to clarify anything that might spoil stuff. I just need all the clarifications now. Just kidding. Part of me feels like I'm mixing some of these plots in, like some of these timelines in. I mean, there's literally like five or six different subplots going on right now. So it's oh, understandable that wasn't that get mixed up. Because like I like this is a bit a little deviating, but like I made a note earlier because I was like, who's all the different interested parties here? <laughs> because. Like, I wrote it down, and it's like, I made a list, just trying to kind of, like, map it out. And it was like, you got the Empress and then her group, like, Adjunct and Tatrin. Like, they're doing their own thing. And then you got Animanda Rake and the Darkness. And then it sounds like Baruch sort of working with him, sort of not. And they're like, and he is the main opposer. But then, of course, you got Shadow Throne throwing his hat in the ring. Try and add more in. And then you got um, Croup and Cruel, which I'm like still like a little bit like what's going on here because they're throwing their hat in the ring. And then you got Open and then his little people he keeps picking throwing their hat in the ring. So I'm like, what? Because, yeah, there's just a lot happening that I'm like, this is, yeah. 
yeah it's and you've been also, a little difficult to follow you've also completely missed out on the assassin's war that's going on that's true yeah and whiskey jack and his squad war. but whiskey jack and his squad also have sorry who has her own means and then within Darugistan, you also have the city council trying to do stuff. But Turbinor also has his own stuff that he's doing. And you've got Crone that seems to be a double agent for Kelly yeah. and Brood and Anamanda Rake. I know. And I'm like, because I was just making the list like off the top of my head, like the big name, like kind of like or the, the Ascendants, I guess. Because um, I guess we'll get to that part a little bit later. But like that's they're trying to get them all to confront each other at one point, I guess. But. Yeah, no, because there's just so many things. I'm like, what? What's the end goal here? Who's gonna win? Oh, and then if I completely, I completely forgot. You've also got Peron doing his own thing with talk currently. Yeah. You've also got the adjunct Lorne doing her mission. You've got Dujek. And you got Hairlock. Got his own objectives. You've got Hairlock. There's just so many. Yeah, it's really impressive to me that within two thirds of a book, Erickson has just created this immensely complex geopolitical situation. Yeah, because I mean, we like Asari's over here with this whole plan. I'm just like, what? What kind of plan are you trying to do? Because Fallen Croup, which confuses me, because isn't Croup trying to protect the coin bearer? They keep mentioning that. Yes. Is like Cruel trying to protect that? Is he like, hey, you got to do that? Or is that just more Croup or Krupp? Um, Let me see if I can find a quote from this section. So I guess that's the only. Yeah, so in question. That... In that scene, that dream sequence scene that we just talked about, Kroll um, mm-hmm. does ask after does ask Krupp about the coin bearer, and Krupp assures him that protection has been set in motion. Yeah, so like that's what I mean. It's like they got some ascendants like sort of working together, but not. And it's like, but they don't know who's doing it. It's just a mess. It's yep. just all gonna implode and explode. I don't know. It's almost like war is never to see what happens. It's almost like war is never as simple as humans good, orcs bad. I know. I just want a simple plot. I'm a simple man. <laughs> just kidding. No, that's why I think I'm like, we're over halfway through the book, and I'm like, how in the world is this going to play out? Just because there's so many things going on. But Yep. Uh, so then we get a pretty brief scene of Crocus visiting his Uncle Mamet and asking him how long it would take to be known among the upper classes because he saw a naked girl in bed, and he has a crush now. Oh, yeah. Trying to be a thief and uh, ends up being like, I want to do more with my life now. There's a pretty girl. Yeah. Uh, hiding from his uncle the entire time that I'm not actually interested. I just I just want a highborn girl. Yeah. It's like, ah, come on, dude. Uh, but then we get a brief history lesson about Tarudistan, which kind of plays into Lauren's plot line with the adjunct. Yeah. Because it's uh, they're trying to find ja- Jagus, Jaggert, what are they called? Jagat. Jagged, so many weird names. Yeah, um, because the city. Oh, my simple ones. There was a rumor about the jagged barrow, containing treasures and mm-hmm. whatnot, and so it it almost to me is very similar to the California Gold Rush, where towns like San Francisco and stuff like that were built purely yeah. because of the California Gold Rush in the eighteen hundreds. Because it doesn't say. That Drew just stands like the big kind of like metropolis, um, like center for like festivals and stuff as well. Yeah. Like that's afterwards is built up to that. Yeah. So, um, so it became that after it became a city, but the city was built because of all of the 
camps and explorers just constantly searching the hills for this rumored place of riches and stuff like that and yeah. the people constantly digging down is also how they found the caverns of gas that are now used to light the city up which i thought was pretty cool that's like all the stuff that they did just turned it into like this perfect little city because then they're right by the massive lake so it's like mm-hmm. even better and the massive lake has a massive river that connects to the ocean so you can yep. get just a ton like... of trade that way literally the perfect city no wonder the empire wants it yeah i mean it's been stated lauren tells dujek like we desperately need we desperately need durudistan because that's how you control the south is like it's just like such a big powerful city mm-hmm. uh then we get the scene unless you have anything else on that scene with crocus uh, i don't remember too much else that i had on that okay uh but... then we get the scene with sorry following krupp and he's on his way to the Phoenix Inn, but as he's walking through the market, he's like, he's kind of like walking dreamily and waving his arms around. But as he's waving his arms around, he's like stealing food from everywhere. He's just such a quirky dude. He is a very quirky dude. Like, I I, I get what you mean now when you're like, I think he's funny. I'm like, he's just weird. But now I'm like, oh, but yeah. he's so he's a w- w- wizard. I, I don't know if that's been clarified, but he's oh, a yeah. magic he's, dude. He's a magic user. Okay. I think even earlier when we get that little description from Crocus about his group of friends, he describes Krupp as like a fat man with, or a fat mage of dubious ability or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, he's chosen to use his magical powers to steal food from the market, which might explain why he's so fat. Yeah. And then Krupp goes into the inn and Sari follows him. And the bouncer at the door kind of tries to make a move on her, saying, let's go out into the alley. And she just stabs him in the eye. I know. I was like, way to go. Power to you. <laughs> I think more more people, more women should do that. <laughs> no pepper spray. That'll might, teach him a lesson. Might be. They'll might be a good that. idea. Um, I mean, maybe not. Maybe not even, as brutally as sorry, but like. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say not every girl has a ruthless god of assassins possessing her. Yeah, that's true. I think that's the only issue. Yeah, but like that was like it was like such a stereotypical like, like him just like being just so dumb. Like, like this line like, uh, "Girls shouldn't carry swords around anyway." And then he's like, "Hope you're not planning to go inside with the sword." Uh, uh-uh, uh, not unescorted anyway. It's like, yep. Come on, you're just like asking for trouble. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I love that she just like kills him and flings him over the rail just. And he's just sitting there in front of the end. Like the next person that walks in the door is going to find him. Yeah. Like there's just like, no, like, oh, let me hide the body, you know, like, yeah, I'll go in the alleyway with you and just like kill him there discreetly. It's like just quick flash the dagger at the doorway and just walks in like, oh, well, because I mean, we, we see, I don't know if it's the same scene, but like Crocus, I think notices maybe it's the same exact scene where he's like the her dagger looked wet or something yeah it's the same scene like didn't even like didn't even bother cleaning anything up yep yeah and she walks in and orders a mug unknowingly she orders a mug of like the most expensive alcohol that they have and then crocus bursts in and is like church dead and she like tenses for a second and one of the barmaids just kind of comes and puts an arm around her shoulder and is like that guy was an asshole we don't care yeah (laughs) don't worry he had it coming to him one of these days yep and then crocus takes out his coins to buy a drink and opon's coin just continually keeps spinning on the counter it's like the super fancy tops you see those ads for 
<laughs> like the rich fancy people tops or whatever the eternity spin or whatever <laughs> yep and uh sorry just kind of reflexively pushes against it with her own power and the coin kind of bounces around and then everyone there is like no one else saw anything okay let's just pretend yeah because like happened. didn't didn't she bounce it back into his hand or something maybe sort I of can't remember like, exactly that's what I thought what happened because like they're like and anyone and it was only those people in that small circle that noticed what happened but like no one said anything oh so she it skids across the bar bounced once and then just drops right in front of crocus oh yeah that's right so it, it returns to him basically yeah. though but you know, everyone's just like no one saw anything right <laughs> you didn't see anything <laughs> Well, it's interrupted because Krupp's voice just comes from further in the bar like, Crocus, my boy, come here. Oh, yeah, that's true. Krupp messing everything up. Did you have anything else about that? Nah, not that I can think of much from that scene. I was just going to say I feel bad sometimes because some of these scenes are like small. So I feel like we're just kind of summarizing them. I mean, it's it's a small scene. There's not much. Yeah, there's not much there. There's not much you can. There's not much there except like that was funny. Yeah. Yes. Come on, you think a god would know not to buy the most expensive ale in a bar? Yep. Like how not to draw attention to themselves. But uh, after mistake, that, I guess. Pretty much. Uh, after that, we get the start of a sequence, which I suspect was your favorite part of chapter 12, which we'll talk a lot more about later. But yeah, Kalam steps out of Quip's bar and there's just these lean-tos for rent against the city wall, basically, is what I imagined. And he steps into one and quick bends there. And he starts making, like, magical preparations to, he says, to use Herlock one last time. But we'll talk yeah, about... because no, much- this is... Because this is... Because Kalam was just out doing recon at this point. He tells quick Ben they're trying to find the Assassin's Guild to get them to take out all the city leaders. But yeah, the Assassin's Guild has gone to ground because someone started killing them all. I know, the eel... Or whatever. Mystery folk. Yeah, there's not much else there. Uh, we get a really small scene of the group of people at Phoenix Inn, Crocus and the gang just talking about stuff in the city. Uh, and then Quick Ben travels through the Warrens to Shadow Throne's realm and is confronted by the Hounds of Shadow. Finally. Yeah, because he, he goes through the Warren of Chaos initially, right? Yeah. And then he goes to um, Shadow Throne's Warren. Which I think is interesting because Herlock was like, st- he's trying to mess around with chaos, but Quick Ben's like, you know nothing, Herlock. Which, uh, I mean, this, this is where I got really excited. This was probably <laughs> my favorite part so far. Yep. I thought this was also cool. Yeah, yeah, he pushes his way. Oh, I guess he's not confronted by the hounds yet in chapter 11, but he pushes his way through into the warren and just hears the hounds howling. And they're, yeah, because then we hit chapter 12 on the next page i don't know are we ready to move on to chapter 12 yeah i want to get into it i want to get to the good part not that chapter 11 wasn't good but okay chapter 12 corrupt reads in mammoth's study about the crippled god and its chaining complaining about the tome's length mammoth asks after his nephew and his new motivation for education baruch contacts them both and summons corrupt immediately Crone reports to Baruch on what she witnessed on the plane with Herlock. Baruch surmises that the Empire is after the jagged tyrant and wants to use it against Darugistan. Quick Ben follows the Hounds of Shadow to Shadowkeep and strikes a deal with Shadow Throne. He used to be a priest of Shadow and offers up Herlock in exchange for the erasure of his death penalty for leaving the Order. 
He will provide Hairlock's location to the god at the proper moment and let the hounds deal with him. As he leaves, Shadowthorn recognizes him and yells angrily after him. Quick Ben grins. He's done it. Again. Krupp delivers a message to Baruch from the eel to look to the streets to find those you seek. He's then tasked with a mission to take his friends, including Crocus, and leave the city to observe in the Gadrobi Hills. Quick Ben returns to his body and remarks that he wishes that more high priests burned their robes and left their order, because without their meddling, the gods could not touch the mortal realm. Sari finds them through her sensitivity to shadow and says that she found an assassin at the Phoenix Inn. The two men leave. Ralex sees Kalam walk in and marks him. Ocelot tells him to walk out the front door and lead him to a warehouse. Ralek doesn't like it and has a bad feeling. Crocus stands watching the Darl estate. He's doubting himself about wanting to meet the Darl maiden and enter high society. He starts climbing the wall to put the girl's things back. So we can talk about Krupp reading first if you want and Crone's stuff, but I suspect that you kind of just want to jump straight into Quick Ben's stuff. Well... Yeah, because I don't like there wasn't much about Krupp because he was just reading into the study and kind of just they're just chatting about like what he needs for education. So there wasn't much there. And then Crone was just, this is what happened. I found Hairlock, but we don't know that's Hairlock. Yeah. So I, there's one thing that I love about the scene of Krupp reading is that he puts, he like looks up from the book after he gets to like a long list of names and is like, brevity praise for brevity oh yeah and uh because he's he makes a comment about yeah. reading so long that he kind of he half expects to see his grandmother's name in the book and then when mammoth asks him what what he was looking for he says my grandma's name yeah no i thought that was funny as well because he's like these ancient texts he's like they're just so tough to read yeah he reminded me of a high school student reading shakespeare oh i know that was shakespeare's brutal teachers like worshipped him i was like guys no, please, no. I like some of it. But... I think I would have liked it if I didn't have to write so many essays on it all. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, no, that was funny. But there, I mean, there wasn't anything too significant unless you know anything you want to comment on of those two scenes. But yeah, there's not much else there. So let's jump into uh, Quick Ben. What do you think? Basically, my new favorite guy. I mean, I just thought the opening was so cool. Like the hounds just walk up and he's like, he starts naming all of them and their family histories. He's like, oh, your son's here. Oh, your husband's here. <laughs> and then he's like, I need to speak to, uh, oh, what's his name? Totally blinking. Amanis? Amanis? Yeah, I think he says Shadow Throne. Cause... He says Shadow Throne, yeah. Like Lord Shadow Throne or something. Yeah, because it's like, so the two gods of Shadow are Shadow Throne and Cotillion, but then they also have other names. So you can also call Shadow Throne Amanis, and you can also call Cotillion the Rope. Yeah, because it says Shadow Throne, because they're in their Shadow Kingdom, I guess, is what they control. Because Shadow Thrones, yeah. he's like the guy that runs the Warren. Yeah. He's like kind of home base, and the Rope is, he's out patrolling, doing his own thing, because he's in charge of the assassins. But anyways, and I just thought it was so cool, because he's just naming all of them, and then he's like, can I speak to Shadow Throne, please? Take me and so he walks leader. up. <laughs> yeah exactly so he goes up and then um i'm just trying to find pages again and uh is it right here yeah because he's like just starts chatting with him like he knows his way around how to talk to shadow throne which i think is so cool because he's just like sitting up on his throne surrounded by the hounds and uh 
Yeah, no, I think the deal is pretty cool because I thought this was this is probably some of my favorite stuff in books like this. When you get like kind of that deeper history and lore of like Quick Ben was an acolyte, he was a priest, which I think is interesting. I'm curious mm-hmm. to see how that structure works out in the future, like if they reveal anything more. But I think he was a priest and uh then he's just like, Nope, I'm out of here. And like just leaves. Yeah, after making like an immaculate deal and Shadowthorn is like, you know, I love to break deals, but I can't see a way to break yours. That's why I think it's so cool. Like Quick Ben, he knew what he was doing. He came in setting this up. Like it's like I know how to work this out with Shadow Throne. But what I think is interesting is uh the Warren of Chaos, which I thought was kind of crazy that he references because um oh yeah, because the question he asked, which like got him to start talking more to Shadow Throne was he's like, Does Gear still live? And he's like, Oh, that's a wow, that's a good question. He's like, but yeah, so like he gets hooked in on that. Mm-hmm. But his offer isn't he trying to offer him prawn? No, so he's offering him hairlock because hairlock is the one that violated oh. the borders of the shadow realm and tried to kill gear. And so Shadowthorn yeah. wants revenge on him for that. So he offers up hairlock in exchange for his death penalty being lifted. Oh, yeah, because it was um, because Shadowthorn's like, I'll uh, I'll give you the one who almost defeated him. He's like, opens pawn. He's like, no, no, the other guy. And he's like, oh. Because, um, yeah, it sounds crazy. He's like, he left, but he's like on a hit list now for the rope. But he's literally in the same group as the rope. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Yeah, which means that Sorry has been unable to detect that about him. Which is like kind of crazy because, um, I mean, it's because like by the sound of it, how he got out is he like tapped into some like ancient magic, like elder magic, if that's a thing. Um, yeah. And that was the Warren of Chaos. And so that's how he escaped. Is by the sound of it in the past. Um, and then he uses it again to get out of Shadows Warren. I'll say nothing more about that. That's why I thought it was just so cool because it's like now I want to know about the Warren of Chaos because I'm like, hold up, how has this worked? Because it's like he referenced it when he was talking with Herlock in the Warren of Chaos earlier. He's like, kind of how dangerous it was, I guess, but because mm-hmm. it's kind of just like raw magic or power or something. Yeah. What did you think of? the line as quick ben leaves uh he had done it he was out of reach he'd done it again i know i thought that was pretty cool because he, he's a uh, because he mentions oh what because the line is just right before that as well i think because he's like you because sh- he's like man you've made this great plan you should have been my servant you know you could have risen far and he's like yeah no i did rise far i was he's a high like, priest yeah he's like but you won't have me and he's like what do you mean and then um Shadow turns like, oh, it's you, Dalot. Yep. He's like, what? And you you know what I imagine when I read this scene of when Quick Ben leaves? I see in Infinity War when Star-Lord falls through the portal, escaping Thanos, and he gives him the middle finger as he falls through. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just imagine like the smirk on his face, like you just got outplayed again. So, I mean, it just shows more how powerful Quick Ben is, which is pretty cool. It's like... Man, he is now, as of now, probably one of my more favorite people, and I want to keep seeing what happens with him. Yeah, Erickson, like, takes a character he probably thought was interesting. I'm assuming most readers thought he was interesting before, and then just hooks you and is like, oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought he was cool? Wait till you read this. Yeah. No, that that was probably one of my most favorite parts about this book so far. I was like, oh, I love this kind of stuff. Yep. So that was cool. Let's see, we get Krupp delivering a message from the eel to Baruch. 
telling him to look to the streets to find those you seek, which I think is a veiled way of telling Baruch, by the way, those work crews that were in front of your estate, uh, yeah, take a closer they, look. They may be the Empire. Intent to wink, wink. Yep. Yep. And then Baruch tells Corrupt to take Crocus out of the city and take Merlio and Cole and Ralik Nam if they can all go. Yeah, he's like, you guys need to, need to leave. It's mm-hmm. not safe right now. Winter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wrong book series. Speaking of, though, I actually stopped halfway through the second book of Song of Ice and Fire because I know all of the story. Yeah. So, and I'm also watching it with one of our coworkers, JT. He's never seen it before. And so it's been kind of depressing to realize that what takes me 15 hours to read, next time I go to JT's house to watch Game of Thrones, we're going to get through that in like four or five hours. Oh, yeah. It's so slow. I think I got like, yeah, total tangent, but like I got in like four or five hours. No, maybe like eight or nine hours of book two. Then my audiobook, like through the library, lapsed. And I was like, oh. didn't even bother renewing it. Because I was like, I'll get back to this down the road. I'll yeah. take my time with it. Um. So instead, over the last couple of days, I think it's been three days, actually, I've read The Poppy War, which starts out as... It's only been three days, and I'm like 30 pages away from the ending, and it's like 500 pages long. And I will recommend it to anyone who's listening. Uh for the first third or so, it starts out as like a harsher version of Hogwarts set in a fictional world that's heavily based off of Chinese China? culture. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it has since turned into one of the most brutal war books that I've ever read in my life. So I heard it's a really good series. It's very good so far. But, um, anyways, total yeah, tangent. Total tangent. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, and then Quick Ben... Quick Ben's soul kind of returns to his body. And I love his comment that more priests should like leave the orders and burn their robes because without people like that, the gods just couldn't interfere with us. I know they'd have so much less power, actually. Which is kind of crazy. That's how uh, cruel is, though. He doesn't have any followers anymore, does he? Yeah. Yeah. That um, that was another line. I was like, man, where is this like a total like history book on like how the religion works in the society? <laughs> Come on, anthropologist writer. I need to know. Oh, there's enough in here. Maybe not in this book, but there's enough in the books yeah. to give you an idea. So good. So good. Yeah. And then Sari finds them. And Quick Ben thinks that it might be because he was just touching Shadow and she's related to Shadow. So she finds him and is like, by the way, there's an assassin at the Phoenix Inn if you guys are still interested in that. Oh, yeah. And that's where we lead into assassins. Yep. The whole, whole title. Because then it gets pretty good. As where it gets it's up a little bit. Kalam walks in. Ralik marks him immediately as an assassin. Mm-hmm. Pulls a Han Solo. Says, I have a bad feeling about this. And leaves. Uh, and then Crocus is looking up at the estate, like daydreaming about his new infatuation and starts just climbing what the wall to, kid. to put her stuff back. Such such a weird guy. Why not open pick him? I mean, it makes sense, but doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... He's like 16 or 17 years old, I think. So an yeah. easily manipulated teenager. Yeah, because does it? Sorry's tracking him, though. Yeah, we find that out in the next chapter. Oh, that's the next chapter. So unless you have anything else, we can move on. No, we can, we can go to the next one. Cool. Sweet. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Chapter 13. Kalam and Quick Ben track Ralik from the rooftops using magic that hides them. After making sarcastic remarks about the Empire and covert missions like these being behind them, 
They track the assassin to the warehouse district. Ralik is told by Ocelot that he's done well and that unless there's a very good wizard around, they'll be fine. A demon circles high above the warehouse courtyard, noting that one of the targets in the courtyard below is a very good wizard. Suddenly, it is kicked in the head and is fighting for its life. As 11 other figures descend towards the warehouse, it flees its attacker. Kalam and Quickben are attacked by the newcomers. Kalam dispatches two of them, the first by bringing its face down into his knee, the second by punching it so hard in the chest that ribs crack and then flat palming its forehead. Ralik is also attacked and manages to kill one of the assailants with his crossbow. Sari watches Crocus enter the Darl estate and waits for him to reemerge. We found out that the officer that was garroted and pale was her work and that they were a claw leader. Crocus returns the items he stole and speaks with the girl, Chalice. She laughs at his plans to introduce himself to her, and Crocus's silly, dumb, teenage love fantasy is shattered. He leaves and sees Sari in the garden below. Kalam stands tense on the rooftop as Quickben battles the other mage invisibly. Suddenly, Quick attacks the mage and tells Kalam to run. He throws a vial down to the rooftop, and a demon named Pearl appears that is bound to Tatrin. Quick tells the demon to not pity the Tystandee, but to kill them and be done with it. We also find out that Quick's name, Ben Adephon Delat, is marked as among the dead of the high priest killed in seven cities. One Tystandee descends with enough power to chill Quick Ben to the bones. Pearl says that he is being sent to his death and asks if Quick pities him. He says that he does. Ralek walks down the street, reflecting on his life as an assassin and that his final victim will be himself. He also thinks about betrayal and how Lady Simtal destroyed Call. He drags Crocus into an alley and tells him to stop pursuing the path of thievery. Anamander Rake slams his sword back into its sheath, staring down at the remains of the demon. It's been his Tystandee going after the Assassin's Guild. Whiskey Jack sits watching his squad as they wait for Kalam and Quickben to return. Fiddler and Hedge are terrible soldiers, but excellent sappers and saboteurs. He looks at his armor and remembers every blow that damaged it. Quick and Kalam return and report on what happened. Rake realized that the Malazans would want to contact the guild, so he sent his people to take out the assassins first. Kalam suggests that they start taking out council members themselves, and Whiskey Jack says it might be a good idea. Sari continues following Crocus, planning to kill him once he leaves the city. Baruch is visited by Anamander Rake. Baruch explains the function that the council and the assassins guild serve in the city and that they balance each, that they balance each other out. Rake apologizes for not making his intentions clear. When asked about the demon, Rake says that it's out of anyone's reach, and Baruch looks at his sword, hearing the creak of wheels, chains, and the moan of souls. The pale wizards chose death rather than be killed by that sword. Krupp speaks with Kroll in his dream, learning that the sword's name is Dragnapur, and that it contains the souls of those it kills, and that it chains the souls of those it kills to the world that existed before the coming of light. Another killer chapter. So good. Yep. Action-packed. Contains some answers, deep yep. magic stuff, all the good things. All the good things. Yeah, so first we get Kalam and Quickben preparing to go out. I just I love their sarcastic comments to each other. Like, uh, good thing I'm not a claw anymore. We're just soldiers, right? Right. No more cloak and dagger games for old Kalam. As they go to play some cloak and dagger games. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's cool, though, because you see more of Quickben's mystique of, like, Literally, other mages are like, I think there's a mage there, but I can't tell. Oh, I love the Ocelot. Ralek tells him that he thinks there's magery involved, and Ocelot tells him that unless there's a very good wizard around, we'd be fine and we'd know. And then, like, the second sentence of the demon circling above is like, hey, one of the guys down there is a very good wizard. <laughs> I know. He's like, no, 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 I think we should be good. 
then you see the perspective of this more powerful demon. Now that was that was so funny. Yeah, so that demon that's flying overhead um just gets kicked in the head. There's eleven others that are descending towards it and it flees. We learn later that these are the Tai Stand D. Yeah. I was gonna that, say that they're the eel. Then? No. Unless the eel that's is the Tai Stand D, which I will not confirm or deny. I but I thought I thought we finally met him. Dang it. I was like, this has to be them, right? Well, we could have, and it's just not been revealed yet. I won't say anything. That's ridiculous. I protest. Yeah, so I guess we can just go into that right now. What do you think of Anamanda Rake's plan, knowing that the Malazans use the assassin local assassins guilds to take out the leaders? He just decides to kill all of the assassins guild first. I think it's pretty. I think it's actually pretty smart. Like, because this whole setup is like you get the fight with Kalam and Quickpin. Like, like there's like a, what was it like in Doom where they say a plot within a plot within a plot? <laughs> Basically, oh, yeah. there's like a trap with a trap with another trap. Yeah. <laughs> And everyone's like, wait, who's you? Wait, who are they? You're not who I'm supposed to kill, but you're, wait, what? Because, uh, yeah, no, you got the, I thought it was pretty interesting because he's uh, like, you know, if we take them out, then the Malazan people can't do what they try to do with every other city. Mm-hmm. So like, he's, he's pretty smart, which is, I mean, I don't know, pretty cool. But yeah, because it mentions, is it this chapter that they're talking about it? Like, where they talk about like, why do they? Like, why are the cities set up the way it is with, like, why the assassin guilds are important, like, within the politics of things? Yeah, that's a bit later in the chapter. Gotcha. So we can we can talk about kind of this whole action sequence first and then get there. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of tied into what I was thinking. But, yeah, no, this action sequence is pretty cool because, I mean, you just see Kalam just beat up all these people. Like, uh-huh. it's nothing. Finally, you see the X-Claw's skills and abilities. Yeah, well, he's like hanging off the edge of a building and the guy yeah. peeks his head out over the edge and Kalam hangs there by one hand, pulls the dude down, cracks their face on his knee and just throws them away and then pulls himself back up. Can you just imagine the upper body strength? Like, that's insane. And then punches a dude, or is that one a woman? Anyways, he punches the next one in the chest so hard that the ribs crack. And then just like just messes up their face. Yeah, flat palms the forehead wild no that was pretty cool because uh because this whole setup as well like kalam and quick ben are looking at a ocelot and oh what's his name karam is that his name i don't remember the assassin ocelot and relic relic i was like in karam ah geez i need to make a list of all these names when i'm reading but um there's a list in here ah, that's true maybe i should use that but uh no they keep like watching each other sort of and then right because he's following him Mm mm-hmm and then uh, they all get jumped by the 11, yeah, 11 just people. Yeah, descending from the sky. Which is wild. I'm like, how that happened? Special op paratrooper stuff well, in I mean, times. I mean, I I can tell you the answer. There's enough context to figure it out. We know that the Tystande live in Moonspawn, and Moonspawn is a giant floating mountain that's oh, that's right. above, yeah. I think it's slightly outside the city, but yeah. Tystande are wild. And then we take a break from the intense action scene to go to Crocus with his obsession. Dream girl. Just, yep. Yeah. And uh, she laughs at him, which I mean, uh, I feel for the guy, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because uh, he, he like, so he like breaks in like sneakily again mm-hmm. and is like kind of jumps and startled because she's like, you can just put him there. That thing goes on the left. That thing goes yep. on the right. And he's like, what? 
And then he kind of just blurts out like, I'm going to get an education and I'm going to be here with an invitation and you'll marry me because you'll like me. And and because she's like, well, what's your name? He's like, well, I'm a thief. You're not supposed to know my name. She's like, well, you're not really a thief. You return my stuff. Like, I think it's kind of against what being a thief is. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's like trying to do like the the like classic teenager like, you know I'm so tough. And then she's like, "What are you talking about? You're you're not." Yep. <laughs> you put my stuff back. We also see before that happens, we see Sari watching Crocus enter, and we find out from her. Yeah. Do you remember that officer outside of Pale that was found garroted? Oh, she killed him. Yeah. Yeah, she's the one that killed him, and that guy was a claw member. Oh, wild. Yeah, that's said in there too. So. I just edited the episode where we talked about that a little bit and that I was thinking that it was Kalam that did it, but nope. Yeah, and the amount of stuff Sari's done just boggles my mind. Okay, and then we get one of my favorite scenes in this book. Quick Ben is battling the other mage invisibly. Kalam can't see anything. And then suddenly Quick Ben just tells oh, yeah. him to run and throws down a vial that contains a demon and is like, go kill them, please. And he's like, you're not Tatrin. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, your name is listed among the dead high priests of Seven Cities. And Quick, Quick's like, yeah, I know. He's like, yeah, we need to talk about that. Um, He's like, there's a reason. Yeah, and uh, the demon's name is Pearl. And Quick Ben tells them to go kill the assassins. And then they see a figure of immense power descending, which we find out later is Anamander Rake. And Pearl was like, you're sending me to my death. And Quick says, I know. Do you pity me? And Quick Ben says, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. Sorry. It's like, not much I can do here. Yeah, it it reminds me. Have you seen, not like the 2016 Suicide Squad, but the newer one? I don't think so. It was directed by James Gunn, but the villain in the movie is a very obscure, I guess, comic book villain. It's a giant starfish that makes other starfish that latch onto faces and then make a whole zombie army. And uh, it's been chained up and been experimented on by the government for years. And then at the very end, after it's dead, because they kill it to stop the end of the world, uh, as it's dying, it says, I was happy floating through space, looking at the stars. And it's like this perfectly delivered line that like hits you in the feels right there. And you're like, wait, I'm feeling sorry for this thing. That kind of reminds me of Pearl here. I know. Like you're a demon, but I do feel bad because he's like, I'm going to go die, aren't I? And he's like, yeah, that's kind of why I called you. He's like, because I don't want to die. Um, Which, uh, yeah. But it does beg the question, why does Quick Ben have a demon that's bound to Tatrin? I know. That, and then I'm like, how does that even work? How do you have a demon at all trapped in a bottle? Like, what? Yep. Well, speaking of <laughs> demons, um, when Rake visits Baruch later, he drags the demon that was flying around earlier and says, is this one of yours? And Baruch says, yeah, I chained it earlier. Oh, yeah. No, I remember that scene because I was like, what, you chained a demon? Like, what? Oh, my gosh. Yep. That was another question. I was like, oh, I probably won't get an answer for this for a while. I mean, that because it isn't right after just the part with Anamanda Rake throwing his sword in a sheath as well. Yeah, putting the sword in the sheath, um, staring down at the remains of the demon. We find out later from Quick Ben that he dispatched it in like 30 seconds. Because And which is like, you feel even a little more sad for the demon because it's like, he just died so fast. Well, and we find out Quick Ben has the thought, or someone has the thought that one of Tatran's demons can level cities if it wants. And so Rick yeah. just killed this thing. And like Quick Ben and Kalan were barely a block away when it was dead. Yeah. And it's like, because by the sound of it as well, like demons can sort of like revive in a sense, right? 
like they just go back to something and they come back like usually is that like that is that's a thing that is not a thing i thought it said it was like they they don't they don't like die as easily or like they're like they're like immortal or something like i don't know that's why i thought i read it apart because it's like because then it talks about he's like with his sword he like killed it more more than a demon normally would be killed yeah like it's a final death compared to a normal demon death or something I'm honestly not too sure about that, but demons can be killed, and maybe it's just that they're harder to kill or something like that. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, it just adds more to that, like, the sword Rake has is, like, pretty pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh, we also get Relic thinking, we f- we found out uh, why he wants to take down Lady Simtal. What? I don't remember that part. Oh, yeah. Um. He's walking down the street, reflecting about like his life as an oh, assassin. Yeah. Lady Simtal married Call, took everything from him, and sent him out on the street, pretty much. Yeah, nah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So Call, their drunkard friend in the shady inn, used to be a like a noble. Let's see. Oh, because oh, there's there's another thing I noticed is when I guess if we're kind of at that spot, Baruch and Rake when they're talking. Yeah, because the whole plot was Rake was trying to flush out the leader of the guild assassin the mm-hmm. assassins because he's like, I want to speak with her or kill her or something, which is I thought was kind of crazy because I was like, now nah, I want to know who she is, because if Rake wants to see her, then I want to see her. Yeah, well, Rake asks Baruch, like, would she take the contract? Could she kill everyone, including you? And Baruch's like, I don't know. That's my answer to both questions. He's like, if you weren't such a high-level mage, I would probably believe you <laughs> or something. Yeah, and then Whiskey Jack and the squad are just kind of sitting around waiting for Kalam and Quick Ben to come back. Uh, this is where we learn about Fiddler and Hedge being saboteurs. Crappy soldiers, by the sound of it. Just not <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, Whiskey Jack's like, I can't remember the last time either of them actually like used their sword. Like, they pulled it out of their sheets. He's like, these things are just paperweights. <laughs> yep. I also love that they're sitting around the table playing cards and Whiskey Jack's like, Fiddler is always making up new games. They're always rigged against him, but everyone still wants to play. Because they're just so bored. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, that would be, I feel like Fiddler would be one of those people. Yeah, and then when Quick and Kalam walk in, Kalam, like, he took a dagger slice during the fight, and so he's on the bed getting healed. Yeah. And Quick just props his feet up on the table and is like, what game are we playing? He's like, what's the new rules this time? Yep. And then Whiskey Jack is like, no, what happened? He's like, oh, just a, you know. I released like... a demon. <laughs> Whiskey Jack's like, one of the demons is in the city. No, it's dead. What? No. It... Yeah, it was killed when we were about a block away. Didn't live that long. <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, yeah. I think Whiskey Jack is probably thinking a little bit of, uh, we might be fucked. <laughs> yeah, we are in trouble. This is not good, guys. Oh, and then one other thing that I did want to make a note of in this scene. We like the Malazans. They're fun. And then Kalam is like, hey, if we start taking out like innocent council members, maybe it'll flush the real leaders out. Whiskey Jack's like, that's a good idea. I know. <laughs> He's like, wait a second. We get rid of all these puppets. Well, we know who's really in charge. Yeah, I just love these moments where the scene before you're rooting for Kalam and Quick Ben in the fight. And then the next scene, Kalam's like, hey, if we started killing innocent council members that have done nothing to us ourselves maybe we could get the real leaders of the city flushed out and then we could kill them too 
I know you're like, and now we're back. We're back to reality. Didn't, did Sorry come back in this part? Sorry is yet? still following Crocus. Okay. Oh, I'm thinking of the other scene that she barges in after Quick Ben. Just leaves Shadow. Yeah. The magic in this, in that fight, though, it doesn't yeah. everyone like kind of notice it. Yeah, everyone notices the, the demon. Yeah. Because the demon is super powerful. And it re- Quick Ben said it released like a death cry. And so I think when it died, yeah. anyone who was proficient enough felt it. Yeah, because they're, that's why I thought it was interesting as well, is there's so many people like near the end of this chapter, you get their perspective of like, oh, something just went down. Like, this isn't good. Yeah, like Baruch gets an intense, like high migraine level headache. And then because sorry as well as like, whoa, something just happened. Just kind of wild. Uh, bad for the demon even more now. Pretty much. <laughs> then we get Rake visiting Baruch and we learn that the council gets things done and the Assassin's Guild is there to like balance out their ambitions and stuff like that. Because he's like, they are the grease of this machine. <laughs> yep. Which I, I thought was kind of a funny comparison. He's like, nothing moves here as smoothly without these assassins, which is kind of sad to think about. <laughs> yeah. Baruch does have some balls because he kind of stands up to Rake in this scene because Rake is like, I'm helping your city. Is that not enough? And Baruch's like, no, tell me what you're doing. Because isn't this where like Rake's like no one really treats him as an equal or something? Yeah. Like there's very few people that kind of operate that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of wild. Baruch yeah. is a powerful dude. He knows what's up. Yep. And uh, Baruch asks what happened to the demon. And Rake says it's out of anyone's reach. And Baruch hears kind of like wheels and chain, the sounds of wheels and chains coming from the sword. And then uh, there's two wizards from Pale that evaded Rake. Baruch just killed them rather than, or he gave them the option. Do you want to be killed by me or by Anamanda Rake? And they chose to be killed by Baruch. Yeah, because he's like, do you have those heads that I asked for? Yep. So, yep. And then the final scene of our episode today is uh Kroll tells Krupp about Anamanda Rake's sword. It's named Dragnapur, and it chains the souls of those it kills to the world that existed before the coming of light. Which is just like crazy. Cause he because then he's like he references him as the knight of house darkness, known as the yep. son of darkness. The knight is in Durjistan fighting a shiver of fear. Around above because the cruel is like, yeah, no, he's just everywhere. Uh-huh. Game over. Yes. Um, so if you didn't think Rick could get any more badass, he he, uh, he kind of just did. Yeah, Elder Magic Bruzanu. Yep. And J- Jagu Elder Magic. Oh, group always steps carefully. Eldering one. Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a fun line to end that. I was like, he's like, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. I or not. I got this, but don't worry. Krupp's got this. Krupp's got this. Yeah. All right. Uh, did you have anything else to? I, yeah, I don't have anything else. Just this was so cool. We finally got a cool fight scene. Cool fight. We got to know more about the shadow realm and yep. warrens and lore and magic. Another confusing magic what? scene in the dream at the very beginning. Yeah. No, that it seems like that. That I'm like, oh, I want to reread this. Like, can I know more? I want to reread that <laughs> scene and understand it. <laughs> yeah. No, because what do we have? We have like uh, three parts left after this. Yeah, so is that the, right? next, the next sub-book that we'll be reading is called The the Gadrobi Hills. And that's chapters 14, yeah. 15, and 16. Cool. We are we're getting close. Yep. Which is exciting. 
we are getting close. Three more episodes and we'll be done with the book. So end of August. Yeah, we'll be done at about the end of the month. But the episode that's a while. The final episode of Gardens of the Wind probably won't release till like mid September. Hmm. Or actually oh, yeah, no. I got no. No, it'll release in oh yeah. Mid September ish. Never mind. Yeah. Well, I got nothing else on this one except I'm excited for chapter five or book five. Troby Hills. Yeah, we'll learn some more and keep going. By the way, I've forgotten to mention this during our other episodes, but um, if any listeners want to message us with feedback or anything, I'm a mod on the Malazan subreddit, and my username is ladrac1, L-A-D-R-A-C-1, and you can just message me there if you want. So, Yep. All right. Did you want to do the honors of doing our outro this week? Yeah. How's that, Todd?